2: Hey everyone, Jim Williams of Sports Talk Florida with you on the Sunshine Boys podcast and our usual cast of characters. Ira Kaufman is with us and of course Joe Henderson. But our guest today is the first president of Fox Sports and one of the truly best promoters and all-around nice guys in sports and outside of sports as well. Shelly Saltman. Shelly, it's always a pleasure to have you with us.
3: Thank you for having me. I look forward to this for a long time. I enjoy Joe's work, and I'm glad to meet Ira.
2: Well, guys, uh, the Olympics have started, and we're off to a kind of a interesting start in so much as the games are relatively entertaining, but audience-wise, NBC's ratings are down.
0: Well, Jim... They-
3: Go ahead. Yeah, if go I ahead, may, Steve. if I may interject, because I've been involved in five Olympiads. I'm not involved in this one, because now at 85 years old, I just sit back and relax. But uh, let's start with NBC. Uh, For years, ABC did it. As NBC, on occasion, they kept swapping, as you know. But I think NBC's ratings are down right from the get-go. Uh, if I were, and I am criticizing when I say this, if I were producing. Uh, I would have started the uh, opening games with the wonderful, wonderful spectacle that it should have been with not so many talking heads. I think they lost a lot of people. I don't know if you guys saw the opening. They lost a lot of people right from the get-go because they had Bob Costas, who's a fine announcer, and others. All they did was talk and do lame duck interviews when the people wanted the excitement and the aura of the Olympics. And for Brazil, this was a big, big uh, venture and uh you know and as, as i've said to jim many times in our conversations when you really look at the summer olympics why any city would want it is is amazing to me publicity public relations promotion value but in all of the 120 olympiads there has been only one city in the summer that's ever made money and that's los angeles 1984 so that that's why i think the uh uh the ratings are down uh, i don't think that they have done their capability, and they've they've got some wonderful producers, segment producers, and wonderful directors, and they haven't really capitalized on it. Now, out here in California, where we're really interested in what's happening like with the beach volleyball, because it's like a California-adopted sport and the various other things, uh, we've had a lot of other stuff, such as Ukraine against uh, uh, Russia, and and things that are are meaningless. Uh, They are not capitalizing, to my extent, my personal opinion on uh on the full embodiment of the american team
0: i guess jim i guess the, the ratings pumped up a little bit yesterday with the gymnastics uh that's always going to happen there's yeah. always some uh there's always some pixie joe you know that that uh that gets anointed before the games even start and she's going to be the star and uh i guess this year we have one uh but, Joe, uh, after the gymnastics, uh, I think the ratings are going to go back in the dumper.
3: Well, uh, you know, uh, talking about gymnastics, if I may, it made me very happy because, as you probably know, I'm the man who brought gymnastics first to television. And uh, Kathy Rigby was the uh, – you guys may not remember Kathy Rigby. Do, do I do. you remember Kathy Rigby?
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Anyway, Kathy Rigby was a spokesperson, and she gave it a zest and a life and so forth. And, of course, I had the benefit of having Nadia each. And this uh, Simone Biles, she has that same kind, and the whole team, as a matter of fact, Allie Raisman and so forth. And you're exactly right, Ara. They have the joy de vivre. They look like they're enjoying themselves, and they're representing our country in a very fine fashion. And you're right, there is a little pixie, and this, one, this year it'll be Simone. Absolutely. Well, and I would, I would jump
1: in here and just say that um, I kind of understand why maybe the ratings are down there's a lot of things going on right now but we are are watching in these olympics uh someone who may go down as the best olympic athlete of all times and i refer to a michael phelps uh of course. it's it's it, it's phenomenal uh, what he's doing at age 31 is it, not supposed to happen and not just phenomenal uh, joe it's unbelievable it it totally is and and I remember being in Athens in two thousand four watching him then and thinking yeah, man this guy's unbelievable and and that was what three Olympics ago? <laughs> so yeah. and he's and he's still doing it. So and Jim, Jim, uh, I'm not
3: sure he won't be in the twenty twenty games, Jimmy.
2: I you know, I don't know. I, he came I, don't back, know I don't know opinion. I
3: don't know about that. He came back, he had almost a vendetta. And he had right. something to prove and he did against the Australian kid. Yeah. So there was a method. Now that he's a father Things do change. Like I I, I know um, Matt Biondi quite well. He hangs out around here. And uh, we had a conversation, and Matt Biondi, just like Rowdy said the other day, Rowdy Gaines said, who was a three-gold medal winner himself, said he's never seen anything like it. And uh, I, I I said the same thing. I was talking to Mark Spitz about two weeks ago. I, I'm sure you remember Mark Spitz. He was the first guy uh, back in, I think it was, '76. Uh, where he mm-hmm. won uh 8 8 Montreal. gold medals. Right. Yeah, right. Oh, well, I thought it was Berlin. Montreal, right. Montreal. Montreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh we thought that that was marvelous. So this could what like Joe says, what Phelps has done is obliterated everything. There's never been anybody like him. I'm a little no, surprised. And, and... Uh,
0: Joe, I'm a, Joe, I'm a little surprised that uh that we heard, haven't heard too many um terrible reports out of Rio. Remember a month ago, this looked like a disaster, uh, the water, the accommodations.
1: Uh, it, it seems like Rio's doing a decent job, Joe. Well, it 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 does. Um, uh, there's a lot of complaints uh, from the folks at the games about traffic and, and just how long it takes to get from point A to point B. But But that doesn't surprise me that there's not that many complaints because unless it's just uh, intolerable. Once the games begin and people concentrate on that, and they don't worry about the other stuff so much, as long as the games come off without a hitch, then everybody's going to be happy. Joe, you know, if I may interject,
3: if I may interject,
1: in ahead, today's Joe.
3: Los Angeles Times. Today's Los Angeles Times. Is a picture of two of our divers. I uh, I'll try while we're talking. I'll try and look it up uh, on the front page, and they're diving into a. Uh, Pool. Here's their names. It's uh, Emily Kozad and Jessica Parato of the U.S. competing in the women's synchronized 10-meter platform final at Maria Link Aquatic Center, where the water turned an unsightly green. Wow. Officials blamed it on algae, and there has to be something has to be done for the health of the uh, athletes. That's in today's L.A. Times, and I'm sure it's on the wire.
0: Hey Shelly there's, that, there's that something should be getting more attention. Yeah, that should be yeah. getting more
2: attention. I'll tell you what there's uh, this was a this a little inside thing with with Shelly and I. And that is uh, I don't know about you Shelly but when the opening ceremonies began and the games begun, and by the way I watched the opening ceremonies on BBC. So it was a totally separate number number one NBC taped delayed it and I was watching it live on BBC. But I couldn't help but remember when this started. I felt um, I dropped a little note to um, to Hal Uplinger's wife, and uh, I couldn't help but but uh, think of Hal because Hal is a mutual friend of Shelley and mine. Hal was uh, recruited by Brazil once they got the Olympics to come down and help them, and unfortunately. He passed away long before the games began, and it was such a tragic uh, situation. Jim, but what, I, the guys, I could, what the guys I don't know. Think, uh, I couldn't help but think of Hal whenever I saw that. I don't know if you did.
3: Well no, me, of course. I was there. At, uh, I gave the eulogy at his, uh, at his funeral. Hal was a very, very dear friend, and his wife, uh, whose father was an ambassador from Brazil to the United States. Hal was instrumental Justy he was here when he worked together in the 1984 games here in Los Angeles. Hal was instrumental in bringing the games to Brazil. And what to go further about Hal, whom whom I love dearly, he was one of the one of the nicest, sweetest guys I've ever known. Uh, in the days when football was just starting, and I'm working for a television station in in Cleveland, CBS station, and there was only three stations in those days, and Hal was the first guy tabbed to be the first executive producer of CBS NFL football. he quite a track record. quite a guy. And, uh, yeah, Hal is his uh, – I'm sure he's smiling from wherever
2: he is upstairs. I will say the Rio games – Ira, and I'll let, you, I'll let you jump in. The Rio games have, have overproduced as far as I'm concerned from a standpoint of I knew that the bar was going to be high, but I, I think they've done very well.
0: Uh, I do speaking, too. Speaking of tragedies, guys, um we were shocked uh, a few hours ago to learn that uh John Saunders, um longtime anchor at ESPN has has passed away uh at the age of 61, uh longtime uh host of the sports reporters.
2: Mm-hmm. Saunders
0: did uh Saunders was a was a commanding figure uh at ESPN, helped in their growth. Um uh, I don't know if you guys knew him at all. He was also very involved with the uh, V Foundation uh, down here in Sarasota. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a terrible tragedy uh, for sports broadcasting.
2: Oh, there's no question. John John was a quiet guy and uh, a gentle giant from a standpoint of um, of being able to not let the story, you know, not get in the way of the story. And and John was a great play-by-play guy. He was a great host. He was just a generally nice man. And um, I was so very sorry to hear about that because John was always um, very nice and very funny. And uh, actually, my first trip ever to Baltimore, it was John who told me what restaurant to go to. And I haven't left that restaurant since, <laughs> since, uh, since John told me uh, years and years and years ago. But uh, by the
3: way, they want you to clean your plates. I I I have
2: probably done dishes there at one point in time.
0: Joe, anybody, Joe, anybody that can handle egos like Bob Ryan and Mike Lupica uh, on a Sunday morning uh, is okay by me because that's not easy, Joe.
1: No, and, and the thing I always liked about John Saunders watching him on TV, and I didn't know him personally but in a way we feel we know all those people, uh, that come into our rooms, uh, through the TV. Uh, but I like the way John was what I would call calming. You know, he, yeah. he didn't, he, he didn't want the attention on him. He wanted it on, on the event or on his guests. And you don't see a lot of that in TV anymore. It, it becomes all about the, the star syndrome and, and, uh, John Saunders was was not like that, in my opinion.
2: No, and John was John was also one of the most versatile people, in, and I think that was why he was so well liked. Is because you saw him, you know, with Barry Melrose talking hockey. You saw him talking football with, you know, right. a number of different people. He was very comfortable uh, basketball. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't know that that John Saunders, uh, for a number of years, uh, worked both at at uh, ESPN, but at the same time did a number of games uh, as the play-by-play voice of the Toronto Raptors. Wow. So John was very versatile at what he could do and understand. And as we said earlier, he never really made the sh- – the um, ev- he never made – himself bigger than the event it was always the event and he was the person there and and whether it was sports reporters or a live broadcast or um you know live play-by-play broadcast or whatever it is that John was given he always handled it with a great deal of class and uh and he will be missed there's no question about that
0: you know uh Shelly uh that's a station that's known for promoting the uh Stephen A. Smith's of the world and the Skip
3: Baylisses and uh
0: Saunders wasn't I like shall- that,
3: Shelly. Ah no, I, I'm sorry I didn't know him. I, I really am. He sounds like a wonderful guy. But but yeah, you know,
0: like Joe said, he was a, he was a cool presence, a cool presence.
2: That's great. Shelly, well, since we've got John since we got John here and you were involved heavily in the uh, eighty four games with our mm-hmm. friend Mr. Ubaroff. Um All right. Give us a little background. of was the of what boss. I was,
3: I was only commissioner of boxing.
2: Right. Peter well, was the <laughs> boss.
3: Well,
2: yeah. Well, Peter's always the boss, no matter what he's doing. So we know that much. But uh, but he's also a nice guy. The um, the situation with with behind the scenes, give us a little behind the scenes of what goes on in your world as a person who is working as an Olympic official as opposed to, you know, what we see on television.
3: Well, I'm, I'm Jim, unfortunately, my time has uh, run out. Uh, I've got to go. There's oh, okay. The ride. I'm giving a speech here today at, uh, well, it's called the West Laker Club, which like the Rotary Club. But I would love to get back into it because I'd like to talk to you about uh, maybe four of the games that I worked at behind the scenes in different capacities. From, well, we'll bring uh, you back. Sydney, you Australia, can't get
2: rid of it that easily.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's. It, I would love to do it because the stories are interesting. And, you know, even this day, I will say this about the L.A. games. Uh, Peter Uberoth got and deserved a great deal of credit because he was the organizer. But when you talk about the L.A. games, a man, a name you should know was Harry Usher, who was the second commissioner of the USFL after uh, Chet Simmons, who originally was the first president of ESPN. And Harry was a man who put everything together, put us all together, and made everything really go. With that, I have to say, I I would love to talk on the conversation. I can probably, with me, uh, you don't know me, uh, Ira or uh, uh, Joe, you don't know me, but Jim knows you. you put a flashlight on me, I'll do 25 minutes. Uh, (laughs)
0: We'll uh, we'll catch you next time. We'll catch you next time. I apologize. I love your
3: show. And thanks for having me for the brief time. And uh, Jimmy, set it up again. I'll be available.
2: We'll do, and give Susan my best. Okay, thank you. Bye. Right, Bye. Hey, See you, Joe.
0: Speaking, Joe. Speaking of Harry Usher, I I got mm. to know him a little bit because I was in New York in the early '80s with the USFL, and I remember him succeeding Chet Simmons. And Joe, that was around the time uh, that your your boy Donald Trump uh, started getting involved in a big way uh, as owner of the Generals, and we know what happened. Uh, he wanted to take on the uh, NFL when they were doing, I thought, quite well, uh, you know, as, as a league that didn't compete directly with the NFL. And it seemed to me, Joe, that Usher uh, really saw this whole thing fall apart right in front of his eyes. Uh, another another great job by Mr. Trump, Joseph.
1: Uh, yeah, and let's be clear on one thing. He's not my boy. <laughs> uh, I want that on the record. Okay. Um yeah, the it was it was really interesting uh, because Trump as we we saw then and see now he can have a a profound impact on something that's that's not necessarily negative. I think he provided looking back at the USFL a kind of a needed bit of juice for that league, but then it wasn't good enough and he had to you know, he had to challenge the mighty NFL head to head. And as is a pattern with the Donald winds up wrecking the thing on the rocks and taking uh, his league partners down
2: with him. Uh, It just, you know, nothing changes. Well, you know, John, I mean, uh, Joe, I'm sorry, Joe with, with regard, and you're listening to the sunshine boys podcast with Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. I'm Jim Williams from sports talk, Florida guys at that time. And Joe, you would know this better than I. I mean, I did the games. I I produced and directed the uh, the USFL games in in that time. Uh, John Bassett was a huge impact on that league. And it was really the Bassett camp versus the Trump camp on what to do. And the Bassett camp was like, let's stay where we are and do what we do best and manage our costs Versus the Trump theory, which is let's do everything we can because he was thinking the AFL, you know, merger type situation, and and it got to be he he personally wrecked that league. Well, there was no
1: question, no question about it, and I would even go so far as to say that uh, had Mister Bassett lived, and unfortunately he passed away from cancer, but I dare say that he would have. Moved on past the USFL, probably gotten involved in other ways, he would have been recognized as one of the great sports owners uh, in, in America. I, I really think the guy was sharp. He was fun. Uh, he was forward thinking. And if they just think if the USFL had listened to Bassett instead of Trump, how the sport of uh, professional football, how different it might look today. You, uh, you made
0: you make some great points, Joe. Great points. Um, I got down in, in Tampa in '85, Jim, January mm-hmm. of '85. Yep. US USFL was still going. The Bandits mm-hmm. were flourishing with, with with Bandit Ball and Spurrier, and Joe, uh, see if you agree with me. Uh, Bassett was a, was a man of principle, guys. Um, oh yeah. He, he saw through Trump. He thought Trump was a charlatan. But like Joe just pointed out, Jimmy. Um, He couldn't persuade enough of his fellow owners uh, to band together with them, and ultimately, um, they they couldn't fight off Trump.
2: Well, you know, you guys know Carl Peterson, and um, there was – we were involved in the trial, and so Carl Peterson and – A couple of other owners. uh, He was with the Philadelphia
0: Stars, Jimmy. Right, the
2: Philadelphia Stars that had actually moved to Baltimore but never played a game in Baltimore because they played their games in Annapolis. But uh, there was a deal which had been brokered by Harry Usher and um, a couple of the other owners, which the NFL was strongly considering. And that deal would have put a the stars in Baltimore, it would have put a team in St. Louis and there was a possible third team involved in that. And that we don't know what that third team was, but uh, Trump absolutely, you know, he wanted it to be the generals and there was no way that the generals were going to get to play in the Meadowlands with the likes of the jets and the giants. That just wasn't going to happen. So because that didn't happen, he scuttled the possibility of Baltimore and St. Louis getting uh, franchises that would have been USL, fran- USFL franchises that would have merged into the National Football League. So there would have been some merger in there, but at the end of the day, anything having to do with compensation other than the three bucks that they got, you know, in in uh, <laughs> in the check, uh, basically went out the door when Trump. Uh, pretty much railroaded everybody else in the league into, you know, doing a Thelma and Louise routine of going off the edge of the cliff all in the same car. You know, you know, that league was a lot of
0: fun, Joe. That league was a lot of fun, at least in Tampa it was.
1: Well, yeah. And, and my point was going to be here that it let's just, for example, just imagine if the USFL had survived and continued to thrive and that, John Bassett would have continued to own the bandits. It would have been real interesting come merger time to see what, who would have gotten control of Tampa because you have to figure the bucks would have, but my goodness, the bandits in that era were easily more popular in town than, than the Buccaneers. They were, they were, they were fun. First off, they were, uh, I think, uh, Bassett and of course Steve Spurrier realized that you could win, but you could still have fun doing it, which was diametrically the opposite of you know what the uh, Buccaneers were doing at that time. And if you had taken, an, if if the people of, of Tampa had had a chance to say, all right, you can have one or the other, I think they would have taken the Bandits. I don't and, think
2: you're wrong. Hey yeah, guys, let's take a yeah. let's take a quick break. Okay. And you're listening to the Sunshine Boys podcast on sportstalkflorida.com and blogtalkradio.com. And when we return, we'll talk a little bit more about the Olympics and a uh, few other things. I know Ira just came back from Canton, and we want to get a little taste of what that's all about. So join us after this break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the... Sunshine Boys Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, Sports Talk Florida. My guests, as always, the panel, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson of Sports Talk Florida. Welcome back. And guys, um, we were talking about the USFL. We were moving on to a few other items there. Uh, Ira, you want to tell us about uh, an amazing weekend that you had up in Canton, Ohio, with the uh, Hall of Fame?
0: Guys, this, this was my third time. Third time's the charm, apparently, because uh, I had a I had a blast. I had a ball. Uh, there were 10 or 12 of us uh, from the selection committee uh, up there. Uh, Roger Goodell was up there. Um, uh, Eddie DeBartolo threw a party, gentlemen, on Friday night with 1,200 of his closest friends. Guys, uh, it must have been a million-dollar bash. What's a million dollars to Eddie DeBartolo, gentlemen? It's a that's tip money for Henderson. You you know, uh, everybody was there. Huey Lewis in the news. What was the entertainment with boys to men? Um, It was indoors. It was outdoors. All kinds of Hall of Famers. Of course, the 49ers uh, well in attendance with uh, Montana uh, Rice uh, and and the like. Uh, I want to point out one thing, guys, and I don't think you two guys are going to be shocked by this. I was outside in the patio area, and by the way, Joe Dick Recco was sitting in the corner with his wife. He never moved for about two hours. I got to spend but, a little uh, time. D- d- yeah.
1: Just so everybody knows, that's the former mayor of Tampa and a, a somebody who's worked very closely with uh, Eddie DeBartolo. That is right. And, and
2: so wasn't, I spent uh, wasn't. Wasn't yeah. Dick Greco Eddie DeBartolo's brother-in-law at one point?
0: Um, I don't know that, Jim, but. Uh, I will say this, and and, and I don't think you guys are going to have trouble uh, coming up with this riddle. Um, Look, there's 303 people that have been inducted in the Hall of Fame out of the tens of thousands that have played in the NFL. Uh, But this is my third trip to Canton. And for the third time, I've come to a strong conclusion that there's one living Hall of Famer, one, that stands above all others he's the hall of famer among hall of famers and when this guy shows up everything stops and i'm watching the limos pull up pull up in front one after the other and all of a sudden here comes the black limousine and a guy gets out of the back seat with a cane and when he stepped out everything stopped the room got silent the waiters stopped in mid service who is who is that person?
1: I'm going to guess Jim Brown. That would be my guess as well. See, that's why you guys have this podcast, gentlemen, because you're sharp. <laughs> um,
0: Jim Brown has that aura, and it's well-deserved, in my opinion. Now, he's had his off-field issues, gentlemen, well-documented, uh, with women over the years. But as far as football is concerned, uh, I've been watching it for 50 years. I don't know how far back you guys go. He's the greatest football player I've ever seen.
2: I don't think there's any question. I mean, Jim Brown quit when he was probably had four or five more good years left.
1: Yeah. He only played nine years. And the, the, the great thing about Jim Brown and i growing up in Ohio, all we had back then was the Cleveland Browns. So we saw their games every week and i got to watch a lot of jim brown's career and it could be he could get tackled by 10 people or tackled by ira kaufman and either way he would get up and he'd just look like oh he's just not going to make it he's going oh he's ambling back to the huddle and then he'd run over top of you the next play i mean that guy was incredible and incredible And, and you know
0: and jim well you know let's be honest jim Uh, with you know within three he did quit at his peak and within Mm. three years of quitting i think he was in the dirty dozen and the next thing you know he's in a love scene with raquel welch so you know what i I thought it was a sharp career move boys
2: (laughs) uh,
1: great great movie great movie
2: yeah by the way just for the record uh dick greco was uh eddie de brother-in-law He married his sister and uh was uh, left his first term, his first time, I should say, as mayor of Tampa uh, to head up the, the DeBartolo uh, Business Corporation, and that's so uh, good research. That's, that's there, where James. I knew that I thought that that he had uh, married one of the DeBartolos, so that's where uh, that's where that came about.
0: I don't know if you guys saw Brett Favre's speech, guys, but it, it was one for the record books.
2: It yeah, really it was. was. Well, I mean, he's a class act, and and it it you know it you knew he was going to be in the hall of fame five years after he quit. And um, there's no question that uh, he and Dungey, I thought those were the two speeches that were the, you know, were the the calling cards for that particular uh, hall of fame.
1: 36 minutes. Ira. Yes. Yes. Joseph. Please explain to me. Yes. The national football league. Let us bow our heads in reverence. (laughs) How can they stage this? massive Hall of Fame weekend get ESPN up there to for the kickoff the Hall of Fame game and they can't play it because they painted the field with some kind of paint that makes the players feel like they're being tackled on cement what is uh, up with your league please explain
0: gentlemen i have a simple answer and you're not going to like it the NFL art to belief was not in charge of the event, and that sounds preposterous, but guys haven't been around the Hall of Fame. I notice that they they want autonomy from the NFL in a lot of respects. They'll take the NFL's money because they got a massive uh, rebuilding plan where they're putting up a hotel and all kinds of stuff, and of course they want the league to contribute to that. But when it comes to uh, Hall of Fame events, uh, they want to do it on their own. Um, with David Baker as their president. Uh, I've seen it time and again. Um, and it ended up being a debacle, obviously, Sunday night. Uh, now there's going to be lawsuits uh, with these fans, mostly Green Bay fans. Guys, the whole town was dressed in, in Favre jerseys for the whole weekend. I got to tell you. Uh, you could you could wander for four hours and not see a Dungy jersey uh, or the Bartolo, uh, but, but Favre, you couldn't go more than a minute. Uh Packer Nation out in force, and a lot of those fans wanted to stay over for the game because Green Bay was in it. So now the lawyers are involved, Jim. You know what that means. Uh, But, Joe, to answer your question, uh, the league was not directly involved, as crazy as that sounds, uh, and we saw what the result was.
1: Well, and and, uh, unacceptable. Unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable, and I would I would even go a step further. You t- you talk about all the Green Bay fans being there for the game, you know they messed with the wrong team when you do that because Green Bay fans may be the only ones in the NFL who could actually get worked up over the Hall of Fame game. They <laughs> wanted to see some football, and for for the for, for this to happen, look, look Fawcett Stadium is, is, is there in Canton is a high school stadium it's where they they play a lot of high school games there all the time high school football obviously very big in in ohio and and in that part of the country and so right away you're in the minus pool so to speak (laughs) in terms of facilities and so you've gotta if you're the hall of fame or the i don't care who you've got to say to yourself okay we really got to be on our a game for this because we can take no chances. You know, you don't want some some uh, million-dollar player stepping in a hole in the field and breaking his ankle or something. So for this to happen in the way it did yes. is really stunning. And I don't want to make too big a deal about it, but I also don't want to make too little a to deal about it. they got to fix this.
0: You know, Jim, this is a league that doesn't need any more bad publicity.
2: Jim? No, especially something as silly as that. I mean, that, that's the, uh, you look at it, and I've been to that stadium more often than I wanted to, um, and it's, it's a, it's like, it's like a minor league, it's great for high school football, but it would be like a, you know, for those of you trying to figure out what it might look like, it, it's basically, uh, again, it, it looks like a small college football stadium. Like a D three or a D two college football stadium. And well, and I, I think
1: I think that could be a great setting, you know, for the NFL. Yeah. Well, you're back to your roots, things, whatever. Nothing against the city of Canton, Ohio at all, uh, or or that. But you know, there are standards here. I mean, you're talking about uh, yeah, the first teamers would have, you know, wouldn't have even broken a sweat. They wouldn't have been in the game very long you know, you've got to ensure player safety has to be the number one priority. Mm -hmm. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it.
0: Now we, we all Joe we all agree that they made the right decision not to play the game. Right, Jim?
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So now we get to our first weekend of the amazing, uh, um, preseason football and, uh, Everybody gets still my heart. Yes, everybody gets I, man, I don't know. I, I know look there's a whole lot more difficult ways to make a living than covering training camp and going to the spring, the preseason games. but I got to tell you something there's something there's two things that I recall from my early days of the Buccaneers and I know Joe was with this. We went the Buccaneers had a preseason game in Jacksonville. And that was a disaster at the uh, at the old uh, at the old Gator. Bowl the old Gator ball up yep. there, yep. where I swear to God, if you stood up in the in the upper deck level, that you had to have FAA clearance to do it. Otherwise, you're going to knock down a plane. And the other one was my favorite, where we went to Orlando. They didn't let Hugh Culverhouse in the building until we got security to understand he owned the team. And Boy. then they didn't let they, him on the field. And well, then they
1: tried that in Tampa, by the way, but it didn't work. Anyway, it didn't go work. Ahead.
2: <laughs> And then Abe Gibron, this is, this is a visual. I, I is, is burned into my head and I'll never get it out of my head. Abe Gibron and three or four other guys come out of the shower and the people who had the towels had got stiff by the old, you know, um, the old team that was there in the, uh, in the uh, American, the, was it you? Um, oh World yeah, they, uh, football the World Football League.
1: The Jacksonville
2: Boots, Sharks. Right, and the Orlando, whatever they were. And uh, anyway, they got stiffed. And so they wanted 300 bucks before they'd give them the towels. And Abe went to his <laughs> Abe is dripping wet, walks to his locker, grabs his wallet, hands them 300 bucks. It says, now give me a damn towel.
0: So, uh, Joe, that's a visual we, we didn't need. Uh, dude, uh, guys, I'm,
2: I'm I may need you,
1: therapy
0: after burned, that. It was
2: burned into my memory, but um, you know, guys, so thank let's, you for let's sharing. <laughs> Joe, those let's first, be honest. Joe, those this were
0: pre- the good old pre- days, right? Preseason football has developed into a real hot-button issue uh, in, in the mm-hmm. NFL. Uh, a lot of owners and Goodell are pushing for an 18-game season. Uh, They want to drop two preseason games. Now, that sounds great, guys, but there are safety issues. The union's going to fight it for a while. And from a football perspective, Jim, there is something to be said uh, for having more of an opportunity Mm -hmm. to see these new guys, the draft class Mm -hmm. and undrafted first-year players, uh, in game conditions. So uh, I agree, Joe, the games are terrible. Absolutely terrible.
1: Uh, well, and, but, and but what, from a
0: diagnostic tool, they they do serve a purpose. Well, I'm
1: sure they do. Uh, but all right, I'm going to climb up on my soapbox here. First there off, it's go. not pre, it's not preseason. That's a made up NFL word. They're it's exhibitions, good. That's okay?
0: That's That's very good.
1: And so, in these exhibition games, which by their very nature uh, telecast to the ticket buying public that these are substandard events they charge full fare and if you want to be a, buy a season ticket in a lot of places you got to buy two of these lemons and the NFL knows exactly what it has with these and in, in 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 cities where the there's a waiting list on season tickets they have it's extortion is what it is and of all the things that I covered in a long career of sports writing The, without question, the thing that I enjoyed least because it didn't mean anything was an exhibition football game. Okay, I'm off. (laughs) I'm off my soapbox,
0: Jim. You got to get some music, Jim. Next time he climbs on that soapbox, you got to play some music, Jimmy.
1: Well, they what they're doing with that. uh, What they do with that is is. They're trying to pawn it off as something legitimate. Yeah. Uh, it might be legitimate for Dirk Cutter or Bill Belichick or whoever wants to go into the film room and assess right. how these how these guys that they're about to cut played. But for the ticket-buying public, Ira, let me ask you this: and Jim, you've watched a lot of exhibition games. You oh, know, God. What yeah. do the what do the stands look like? By the start of the second half,
0: it I looks like they're down. They're down
1: sixty percent at wow. least. Yeah. What do they look like by the start of the fourth quarter?
2: They look like you're playing in front of that high school field that you were talking about a few minutes ago.
1: So you
0: know, so, Jim. For example, the the Bucks are playing Philly. Right. You know, Winston's going to play a series or two. You see right. a little Mike Lennon, but mostly you'll see some guy named Ryan Griffin. Joe, that's what you're paying for, Ryan Griffin. Right. The and,
1: and then, you know, the only way you're ever going to see Ryan Griffin again is if catastrophe strikes the Bucks and both Glennon and, and Jameis go down. Right. And in that case, you won't want to watch the games anyway. So what are we doing?
2: Yes. Well, I'll tell you what. The one thing that will happen, and we all know it, is that this is the time of year that some of the highest ratings that the NFL – network gets because they play all of the preseason games. So if you are a football fan, you will sit down and you will watch endless amounts of preseason football, whether it's or exhibition footballs, Joe, as you like to call it. But I can tell you personally, uh, again, of I'm, I'm with you in the camp of all the things I covered. Other than doing Palm Beach polo, that would be right there in the, uh, in the bit of, you know, I, I really could have done without that.
0: And guys, uh, you know, if anybody's watching these games, Joe, some of it, I think a significant part uh, could be these fantasy league owners of which there are millions um, that are looking for, you know, a couple of sleepers, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, somebody that's going to win a job as as a slot receiver uh, that they can get in the uh, 12th round of a fantasy draft. Joe, that's, That's part of the whole lore of the NFL right now.
1: Well, no question about it. And as the proud owner and head coach of the Mojo Men, let me tell you that if anybody is sitting there watching the fourth quarter of an exhibition game to see how a seventh string wide receiver is, uh, could be a sleeper that I can grab in my draft. I don't want to hang out with them. I'm just saying that's, that's, that's over the top for me. I love football as much as anybody, but just my goodness. Uh tell it for what how, it is. It's how,
0: how many Buccaneers were on the Mojo men last year, Mr. Henderson?
1: Oh, not many. Not many. I may have had Vincent Jackson, I think that was it and then he got hurt and didn't play much. No, I I avoided bucks like the plague. Uh, my best pick and I'm sure our listeners are thrilled by this, uh, was I grabbed a, a tight end that nobody was talking about named Tyler Eifert. From, you know, I will say this.
2: In, in, I didn't have a team last year, but the teams that I've had in the past, I've always finished in the top three, and it's always – I've always had um, – I've always had – rivers as my quarterback philip rivers has been one of my mainstays and philip rivers is one of the great fantasy league quarterbacks he runs up a lot of stats because the chargers are normally behind and so he uh he gets a lot of yards gets a lot of touchdowns thrown in there doesn't necessarily get wins but he's a he's a fantasy sports uh you know major league producer when it comes from that standpoint
0: and jim he's durable
2: too he's durable. oh yeah Oh, yeah. You don't see him miss many games, that's for sure. Well, guys, I'll tell you what. Why don't we wrap things up on this edition of the Sunshine Boys Sports uh, Podcast and uh, final takes. Ira, we'll give you final take first this time around. All
0: right. Uh, I have a confession to make to you astute gentlemen, uh, and I'm not proud of it. Uh, I'm not into the Olympics. I'm not into it. I tuned it on the other day. Netherlands was playing Germany in, in volleyball. Uh, that lasted about 30 seconds. I was looking for a Seinfeld rerun. Uh, I'm not into it, guys. And I don't know if it's the scandals, the doping scandals, the IOC. I can't trust anybody. Um, I'm sorry. I uh, There's too many question marks uh, around the competition. Um, I'm very suspicious of, of the results of almost everything things like gymnastics uh figure skating to me are very subjective some guy sees an 8.5 uh, another 8.8 8. I can't tell the difference guys I'm not into the olympics
2: nothing wrong with that
1: well um for my closing thought on that I am semi into the olympics and uh you know it's it's I have to admit that uh one of the nights uh, this week, I was kind of switching back and forth between the Olympics and uh, the Rays baseball game. I know, I know, but uh, <laughs> it was um, – what's coming up next week in the Olympics will grab my attention because then you get in what, – what you're getting into is the, uh, the track events. And
0: not bad. That's
1: not bad. We will see. You know, I, I mentioned Michael Phelps, one of the great athletes of all time. Mm-hmm. How about Usain Bolt? Oh,
2: you know,
1: awesome. uh, love him. So I'm. Uh, I'll be tuning in on that.
2: Absolutely. Well, I think if I can borrow Joe's soapbox for just a minute, I um, I think the uh, I don't. This again, there's there's a lot of stuff that flies under the radar, but the Russian Paralympic team has been banned from participating in Rio because of doping. So the IOC didn't have the guts to ban the entire Russian Russian team that we are seeing in this Olympic Games. But two weeks' time from now, the Paralympic team has been banished from the Olympic Games. That, to me, is the biggest irony. Uh, And if anybody thought that the IOC was crooked before... Ladies and gentlemen, Exhibit B: uh, the Paralympic team being banned because of doping. I think that's totally uh, a joke, and uh, you know they didn't have the guts to pull the f- plug on the uh, on on this Russian team, but they have the the guts to pull it on the uh, Paralympic team. I think is totally insane. But then again, we like are American dealing American. with the IOC. Welcome to their world. <laughs> um, Ira, your turn on giving us how to get in touch with you. I know we can read you on uh, sportstalkflorida.com, and we know that a lot of people do. But where can we find you on social media? Jim,
0: I'm on Twitter, at iKaufman76. I'm writing columns for Sports Talk Florida. Uh, Wrote one uh, the other day on Dirk Cutter and and what a refreshing contrast he is to uh, Mr. Lovey Smith, who uh, gave us zero sound bites from the podium for two years. <laughs> um, so hopefully Jim uh, sports talk, Florida uh, readers and listeners to this podcast will continue to uh, support my endeavors.
2: They'd be foolish not to. And Mr. Henderson.
1: Well, you can find me uh, on Twitter with uh, at G- the initial J Henderson Tampa and i uh, I, too, will be contributing uh, sports columns to Sports Talk Florida, uh, in addition to maybe some political musings on
2: Twitter. I'm almost, I am all over the place. And, and worth finding. There's no question about it. I'm Jim <laughs> Williams. You can, you can find me, too, on both News and Sports Talk Florida. I'm your host of this, the very entertaining sunshine boys podcast. And we hope that you enjoyed our conversation today. We hope you join us next time again. Thanks to Shelly Saltman, who unfortunately couldn't stay uh, to be with us for the full time, but we'll get Shelly back soon. And we look forward to seeing you next time when we probably will be talking a little bit about Usain Bolt and some of the other things that will be going on at the Olympics. And obviously the first uh, wave of, of, uh, Preseason slash exhibition football, and maybe a little bit of baseball as we get headed into the pennant race. But thanks again for joining us. This, of course, is the Sunshine Boys podcast, and you can find us on news on SportsTalkFlorida.com, and of course on BlogTalkRadio.com. Take care. Thanks very much.